This is the Physical Activity Researcher Podcast, a podcast for researchers of sedentary behavior, physical activity, and sports. Join for a relaxed dialogue about research design, practicalities, and, well, anything related to research. Learn from your fellow researchers useful and relevant information that does not fit into formal content and limited space of scientific publications. And here is your host. Welcome, everyone. This is the Meaningful Sport Podcast, and I am your host, Nora Ronkainen. Meaningful Sport is a series of discussions on the why and how involvement in sport and physical activity can be an important part of a life worth living. We will also explore threats to meaningful engagement in sport and movement culture practices and ask questions about what we can learn about the human condition through our involvement in sport. The guests are leading scholars in human and social sciences of sport who will share their explorations in a scholarly as well as a personal context. If you are interested in the theme, you might also want to check out MeaningfulSport.com. There you can find podcast show notes, read a blog, and access many resources for further explorations of meaningful sport. In their writings, Stoic philosophers had many references to sport. But how did the Stoics think about happiness, a good life, and a meaningful life? What role might sport have in all this? How can we cultivate Stoic virtues when we are practicing sport? This is the second part of our episode with Michael Tremblay. In the first part, which I recommend you to check out, we focused on exploring central ideas of Stoic philosophy and their relevance for sport. We explored the key differences between Stoicism and existentialism and the ideas of happiness, meaning and purpose. In today's episode, you will hear more about Michael's work on Stoicism in the context of mixed martial arts and how MMA can provide a context for philosophical education for practitioners. Michael Tremblay is a PhD candidate in philosophy at Queen's University in Ontario, Canada. His research focuses on ancient Greek philosophy, particularly Stoicism, and what it can teach us about how to live good lives and become better people. Outside of philosophy, he's a competitive martial artist, having competed internationally in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and professionally in mixed martial arts. I hope you enjoy today's episode. I think now it would be a really nice point to turn to discussing your work on MMA and, and thanks for sharing your, your work in progress. That was uh, uh, very, very interesting to read as a martial artist myself. And so, I mean, MMA, I haven't done that myself, but surely then like following some of the events and so forth. And, and it's like an extremely controversial sport. I mean, there is so much of this, you know, trash talk and, and well, at the elite level, it's and and in the professional level, and and I mean, some some people would say that that's not the proper martial art at all, and that's the statement that you also address in your paper. So let's let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So I mean, what I'm what I'm so this paper is forthcoming in a volume on mixed martial arts and philosophy. Um, so. Uh, that's exciting. I think that's just fun that a bunch of different people, a bunch of different academics are writing on this topic. 
um, such a, I think a, 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 an un doesn't, doesn't get the attention it deserves. So the, the concept behind this paper is that, you know, there's a lot of connections between martial arts and philosophy, but often those connections are made between martial arts and Eastern philosophy. Yeah. Um, and MMA has kind of taken on this, you know, Western perspective, or at least this like not stereotypical Eastern, you know, when you think of Eastern martial arts, you think of uh, decorum, you think of um, respect, belts, bowing, um, you know, your sensei deferring to, to, to that sensei, to that authority figure. Mm. And then you kind of have these Western martial arts. I would call them martial arts. If you have like boxing and wrestling and catch wrestling and, and now mixed martial arts, which don't really have the same, you know, none of those sports have belts besides the championship belts. They have coaches. They don't have senseis. Um, and this kind of this shift from, and, and a lot of people would make that divide. They would say, well, those things are sports and these other things are martial arts. And that divide would, would be, I think, an insulting one, um, m- meaning that the martial arts cultivate character and the sports, you know, are just about winning or just about, I mean, I, I, your work in meaningful sport is pushing back against that. But I think that that can be how it's meant. Mm. Um, and so what I'm trying to argue is I'm trying to say, well, you know, can MMA... If we look at martial art as something that cultivates character, um, a combat sport that cultivates character, can MMA be can be um, be a martial art? And if so, what kind of character does it cultivate? What kind of philosophy does it promote? And I argue that it promotes um, one of stoicism, um, more so perhaps than anything else, but, but at least it promotes stoicism very, very well. And then I go through kind of three different ways that it develops a stoic mindset in people who train it. Um, I don't know if you want me to go into that or if you have any. Yeah, wonderful. That's that's a really nice introduction. And, and I look forward to reading the other other work and in, in, in where this is published as well. But so I think it would be really nice to look into these three different principles of, of stoicism and how you would apply them in MMA. So perhaps we just go through one by one and, and look into them. Yeah, great. So the first one, which is a, a, an innovation of Epictetus and something he really emphasizes, is the dichotomy of control. Uh, this is the first Stoic concept that I think MMA teaches you without you even knowing it. And so I guess one of these things is that you know to be a good MMA fighter is to kind of learn these principles firsthand or adopt these principles firsthand. Um, or at the very least, you would really struggle to do well in MMA without doing so. Um and so the first is the dichotomy of control. And what the dichotomy of control is, is this, it's a very simple idea, but it's a very impactful idea. And it's that there's two types of things in the world. There's things that are up to you and there's things that are not up to you. That's point one. Point mm. two is you have a limited amount of attention and focus and emotional energy. Your attention, your focus, and your emotional energy should go into what's up to you. Mm. And then... I guess maybe the third point the Stoics would make is like, if you really think about it, what's up to you is your choices and your responses to situations. So taken together, it would say, focus your emotional attention and your energy on your choices and your responses to situations. And and only worry about the things outside of your control or that are not up to you in terms of how those help you make better decisions, better responses 
and better choices. Um, and so what I think emphasizes this in, in MMA is, you know, the adversarial aspect of it and the combative aspect of it. So, I mean, I think in, in anything you do, this is a profound concept. Anytime you want anything, this is a profound concept. Um, you were talking before about uh, being a runner. I mean, that's a solitary sport, but even then you're going to in- encounter injuries that once they occur outside of your control and you have to ad- adjust to them and adapt to them. But when we yeah. do something like mixed martial arts, you know, any, any combat sport for that matter, but I think it's increased um, in something that's full contact where there's higher consequences. You know, there's just, there's just so much going on there that is outside of your control in terms of your opponent, um, their decisions, you know, how their training went, their game plan, all of these kinds of things that if, if you, if you focus on that, you're going to, you're going to implode, you're going to sabotage yourself. Um, not to mention, you're just going to be very, very stressed um, and very, very, I think, distracted. So instead, you should focus in, this, in these kind of your training and your fight on your own decisions, your own, your own reactions, your own responses. Yeah, and so for me, I've been in stoicism for so long, that seems, like, that seems apparent to me, but I think it's, it's quite impactful and helpful. I, I think just from like the spectator point of view, like when you are watching, like when Usain Bolt was still active and anytime he competed, you were almost certain that he's going to win. Whereas when you are watching MMA fights, like pretty much anything can happen, you know? Sometimes it's quite difficult to know, like, you know, one of them is like their best at boxing and the other one is best at uh, on the ground or something like that. And you just can't know what, what is going to happen in that fight. Yeah. yeah so in, in MMA, there's, there's a, a variability and a randomness. Um, and there's just, I guess, yeah, this is, this is a key point. There's just so many variables. So you can kind of get away with breaking the dichotomy of control when there's a couple variables mm-hmm. and, you know, maybe those variables don't matter that much, but, in MMA, there's just so much, so many different variables. Like exactly, you're going to be going against somebody who's a who's a Muay Thai fighter who's way better than you at striking, for example. But you're a better wrestler or something like this. I mean, this is speaking from experience on my end. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. And you know, if I think of all the different ways that person can hit me in the head, <laughs> it's just it's just I'm I'm going to get hit in the head. It's not going to it's not going to go well, and I'm going to get very anxious about it, and that's going to interrupt my my focus in, in a different extent. Um, I was even talking, so I had the opportunity to interview George St. Pierre, who's a very famous MMA fighter. He's multiple time UFC champion. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I was talking to George and I was even asking him, you know, cause the, the point of the, of the interview was, you know, how do you mentally perform under pressure? And he was just, he presented the stoic dichotomy of control without even realizing it. He was saying, you know, I just shrink my focus to the things I have control over. So, you know, the crowds, what the press is saying about me, the trash talk, my fight, the, my opponents giving, I, I, I exclude all of that from this kind of cone of vision. And in this mm. cone of vision is just, you know, how I'm feeling, my choices, my reactions, and, you know, information about how the other, how the opponent's moving to help me with that. And that's yeah. coming, you know, that's coming from from a champion. The, he's already adopting that perspective and using it. But it's kind of a thing he learned from experience rather than learning from books, practicing MMA. Yeah, maybe that's something that just kind of comes to you as a more informal learning or something that when you're trying to deal with the pressure and, and kind of mm-hmm. the anxiety coming up to the fight, like if you try to 
control and think about all the possible scenarios that might happen, you just realize that that's kind of an impossible task to do. Exactly. And yeah, I just again came to my mind that this whole COVID pandemic that, you know, everybody, we all learned that a lot of things in, in life are not in our controls. And so what we can do is uh, control the way we respond to things, but like <laughs> surely the world is not in our control to a large extent. Yeah, it's just it's something it's something that's true, but I think in our own lives we can we can forget about it. Um, yeah. So so having mm-hmm. something that's artificially chaotic and artificially difficult, it's not artificial. It is difficult, but the idea of artificially adding it to our own lives helps yeah. remind us of that. You know. So mm-hmm. everybody, everybody was forced to learn the dichotomy of control because of the pandemic or apply it. You know? Yeah, so yeah. The mm-hmm. idea is by incorporating sport or something very difficult in a low consequence setting, you learn this principle and you practice this principle before you really need it. Mm, yeah. Okay, great. Let's go to your uh, second principle. Yeah, so the second one that I was talking about, and we, I think we hit on this a lot beforehand in this conversation, I was talking about um, treating obstacles as opportunities to learn. So, um, you know, Marcus Aurelius has this famous quote about, you know, the obstacle is the way. So the obstacle is the path. So, you know, you want to become a champion. You want to become a great athlete. And if you get focused, you know, let's say you think I want to become a good football player. And, oh, no, there's this other team that's really good. There's a way of conceiving of that as like an obstacle because if, if you become focused on result instead of process, becoming a good football player might mean winning the championship. So with that mentality, you know, this other team is an obstacle to you becoming a good football player. Oh, they're not, I'm not, I might not win the championship because this other team's doing really well. But if you, sh- if you shift the, the, the mentality to process, you know, becoming a good football player means improving my skills. Then if there's another great team in the league, Wow, that's amazing. That that what was an obstacle becomes a way, a path, a mechanism to achieve your goal, which is becoming better at the sport. Um, and I think that um, so in terms of how that relates to mixed martial arts, I, I think that a lot of these things apply to sport more generally. I think the the, the unique fe- feature of martial arts is just um, or mixed martial arts is just how chaotic. Um, dangerous and 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 high consequence it is um and and also social in this matter of like you're going into a cage you're fighting in front of other people um and if you set this if you and it's also adversarial okay so here here's a good one in terms of being adversarial and i could not imagine if you like actually were like i hate this other person i'm fighting or i hate this person i'm training with i want to be the best and like all these people are stopping my goals, they're stopping me from becoming from becoming a champion. This this kind of mentality, you would just you would you would fail terribly. Not to mention you'd be very unhappy. Instead, you have to adopt this mentality of like you know these training partners, even though they're punching me in the face, are helping me become better. Um, my opponent, even if you know they might beat me and I might get a loss on my record, is helping me become better and learn and improve. So mm. the the second stoic principle is that that. I think MMA teaches or you should apply in MMA is this mentality shift from viewing things as obstacles to mechanisms of improvement. Yeah. I mean, certainly in, in martial arts, like if you don't have 
skilled opponents like if you're mm. always sparring against opponents who who've trained a lot less than you have then it doesn't help you develop as much right yeah um you and i mean you see this at the gym and i i, I can't i can only speak i can't speak to other sports because i haven't trained in them at a high level but i know in combat sports you know you kind of get the feel for who the people are that beat you and a lot of people avoid them um a lot of people don't want to train with that person or they're like, well, I'm, I'm not going to train with them for six months, and then I'm going to, and then I'm going to train with them, and then I'm going to beat them, and you're just getting this entire, you know, the entire process mixed up. And I think even in my own training, so let's say you do train with that person, you might try to beat them, so you might try to just only use your best moves against them, and even there, you're making a mistake because you're not improving as well working on what you're good at. When you're wanting to improve, you want to work on what you're poor at. Um, so even that, even this, 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 um, you can even conceive of this obstacle or this problem as, you know, your own personal failings, though, mm -hmm. that's the way to improve. You have to look at those failings. You have to lean into them even further. You have to, to look them in the face and, and, and work on them. My coach has this joke about, you know, you go to the gym and you see the muscly guy lifting weights and you see the skinny guy doing cardio and he's like, and it should be the opposite in terms of, you know, prepare for uh -huh. athletes that the, the skinny guy who's really good at cardio should be working on his weakness. And the muscly guy who's really good at lifting weight should be working on his weakness, which is cardio. Mm. So this idea of turning these, these obstacles or these things we, we, we hate and avoid and, and leaning towards them, going for them um, and using that to improve. I don't know. I guess in my experience, you get the sense when you are training or sparring with an opponent, whether they are trying to, win or whether you are practicing together mm -hmm. and i i just feel that it changes the dynamic like completely mm -hmm. and like if you are if you are practicing together then you are also trying out the things that you might not be so good at and you might just as well fail but you have to have that mentality to be able to improve mm -hmm. and not just to be trying not to be beaten up because then you are just kind of trying to defend and <laughs> i mean yeah if we're talking about muay thai it's a little different because you know you're not getting you're not getting scored on ten times. You're getting punched in the face ten times. Mm -hmm. So it limits a little bit of your capacity. <laughs> and I know, I mean, I I know when new people would come in for the Muay Thai classes that I would do. You know, they get punched yeah. in the face and they you either start crying or they get like they start swinging as hard as they can. It's a very visceral, emotional sport. Um, and then, I mean, I think that's that's when you go back to something else, right? You go back to something like the dichotomy of control. And understanding, okay, well, maybe this is not a session where I'm going to get to, you know, practice my technique that much because this person is, yeah. you know, coming after so, me for some strange reason. Yeah. So for the stoic, what is what is the virtuous way of sparring? <laughs> I mean, I I think I've I think I've it, what is virtuous is or the correct way of sparring is is cultivation of yourself. So the virtuous way of sparring is sparring to improve. You know, that being said, part of improving, especially if you're going to do fights, is learning how to get hit in the face really hard, mm -hmm. is learning how to fight until exhaustion. So maybe, you know, maybe sometimes one out of every 10, it's going to be that really hard round is the virtuous way to spar. But most of the time it's going to be, you know, technical improvement. That being said, you know, we're not all like I'm coming kind of at this perspective of like, you know. I'm this perfect person who enters the gym and has to deal with all these flawed, non-perfect Stoics, which is just like, you know, not the right way of looking at it. 
you know, mm-hmm. me myself, I get punched in the face and I, you know, <laughs> sometimes I'm the person who's like elevating and increasing, right? So sometimes the virtuous way to spar is just, is just teaching yourself to calm down and teaching yeah, yeah. yourself, not dealing with this bully, but like making sure that you don't become the person who's elevating it and reminding yourself and staying in the moment and staying focused in that sense. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a perfect moment for practicing not to get angry yes. when you get punched in the face that you're just not going out to <laughs> revenge, you know? Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a perfect uh, context for practicing that. Yeah. Let's, let's move on. Let's go to your third principle. So MMA yeah, so and, and gaining freedom. Yeah. So the third one that I was talking about in the paper is gaining freedom. So this comes from Epictetus's conception of freedom. So what Epictetus argues um, this is interesting because he was a slave, right? Mm. So he knows quite a bit about freedom or he, he, it's something, he, it, it's a meaningful concept to him. He's not just, he, it, you know, we can, sometimes we can think of what's well, easy for you to say, this is like, you know, but this is a person who was a slave. So when he's talking about freedom, it's coming from a place of knowledge. And he says, we think freedom comes from the ability to do, you know, to get whatever we want by, by, you know, Nietzsche thinks like this, you know, I, I want a lot of things and then I become powerful and I take the things for myself. But Epictetus disagrees. He thinks that um, he defines freedom instead as the ability not to be coerced or not to be forced to do what you don't want to do, either by your own desire or by your fear. You know, so Epictetus says, I'm not, I'm not free if I can be threatened. Because then I'm I'm only free accidentally. I'm only free in the moment. But the next person comes over and says, you know, do what I say or I'll beat you up. And you go, oh, okay, you know, of course. Then then you're you know you're a slave to that person whenever they come over and threaten you. So the goal of freedom is to to not be able to be coerced or I guess tempted would be the 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 the, the flip side with desire. So the key here for him is to shrink what you desire and shrink what you're afraid of, and then. I think really hard things are really, really good at this because, um, you know, MMA as an example is just an incredibly, incredibly difficult thing. And you see people come in and they've never done it. You know, any hard sport is going to achieve this, but they're afraid of getting punched in the face. They're afraid of getting bruised. They're afraid of losing in front of other people. You know, you were saying before this podcast started that you had had a Muay Thai fight. It's terrifying Mm -hmm. to lose in front of people, to be embarrassed. Um, to have people think you're bad at something. So there's all these things that they're afraid of. On the flip side, there's all these things that they desire or they think they need. You know, well, I need to, like, you know, I desire food and drink of a certain amount. I desire to go out and party. I desire um, a certain kind of reputation. And when we train mm. really hard, we deprive ourselves of these things. But then we realize that we're actually okay. We actually, you know can survive pretty good without them or without those things we want. And we can survive pretty good even when we're getting the things we used to be afraid of. And Seneca talks about this. Seneca says, you know, two, two weeks out of every year live in poverty, not for like penance or anything like that, but you live in poverty. And so for the rest of the year, you know, you, you, you're at risk of losing your job, you're at risk of losing money. And you're like, well, I already know what it's like to, you know, live without money. And that, it wasn't that bad. Um, you know, he's talking from a position of privilege there, but there's this idea of, you know, when you've been through hell, 
it's not this like metaphor anymore. It's not this like scary concept. It's like, oh, I know what it's like to get beat up. I, I know what it's like to like, you know, not eat what I want for prolonged periods of time. I know what it's like to like, you know, um, be deprived of things I used to enjoy because, because I'm trying to achieve something. And, and, you know, I was still happy. I was still okay. Mm. And th- the idea is that kind of knowledge that you're okay in bad, cer- hard circumstances is empowering in the sense that you gain freedom because you can't be threatened or tempted anymore because you understand your own strength. And I think like if you are practicing martial arts, like you will always have people who who are going to be stronger than you and and like losing is something that will inevitably be part of everybody's kind of martial arts life or sports life more generally. I don't know if you can do any sport and and never never lose. So yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely you learn to deal with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this idea and like, you know, in academia I give a presentation and it's just it's just not as scary as fighting. I was like I've 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 risked, <laughs> you know, embarrassing myself and getting beaten up. And I mean now I now I only have to risk embarrassing myself and you know that's fine. Just this, yeah. this this kind of knowledge of having been through bad stuff is 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 super empowering. And when we mm. live, you know, when we live fairly good lives, like I do, in you know a developed country with a reasonable amount. I mean, I'm a PhD student, so I'm not rolling the cash, but like a reasonable amount of money. Yeah. Um, it's nice to have a again like that artificial difficulty, so I can remember that I'm okay in hardships. And for me, that's that's one of the most empowering things of martial arts is just. Dan Gable, who was an Olympic champion wrestler, um, talks about this. He says, like, after you've wrestled, the the, the dial on everything kind of gets turned down. You mm-hmm. know, <laughs> what, what mm-hmm. felt like a 10 in, in, in real life becomes, you know, like a 7. It kind of becomes dulled. And it's this idea of just um, having been through worse, you're not, you can't be manipulated or compelled by your fear of things anymore because they're just not as, as scary. Uh-huh. Yeah. I think just like you said, like if you if you compete in martial arts, I only have one Thai boxing fight, but I really wanted to do that to experience this range of emotions. Like, you know, somebody's gonna go on yeah. come on you like f- full power and, and you just see whether you can come out alive. So <laughs> I thought it's kinda worth being in a tough place and just like you said, doing an academic presentation doesn't seem like a big thing compared to that. <laughs> yeah okay so next one is a little bit of a side note so we talked about stoicism and and a lot about uh, how you learn to recognize what you can control and what you cannot control and there's a lot of emphasis on kind of working on yourself and and developing virtue and becoming a better person but how do stoics think about I mean the accusation could be that it's kind of a politically and socially passive philosophy. So let's say that you have a, a bully in your martial arts gym or or there is like a culture that you think that is not very good. Are you just going to work on yourself and your mentality and learn to live with it or would you go to fight for a social change or what would the stoics say in in that? Yeah, I love this objection because it's really common and it's it's really easy to see why people would would, would believe that and it seems like that on the surface, but it's it, it's the total opposite. Mm. And I'll I'll say why. And it comes down to this idea of freedom we were just talking about. And this is in the same passage that Epictetus talks about freedom, he talks about social and political action. 
So the idea is the Stoic is the one that's free, as in the, the proper Stoic is the one who's motivated exclusively by what's right. So most of us, and this is not to say that people that people don't misinterpret Stoicism or don't use Stoicism to justify their own inaction and passivity, but it's not what Stoicism encourages. And Epictetus uses the example of Socrates, who was a very famous philosopher before Stoicism, who inspired a lot of Stoic principles. And he says, look, Socrates was able to go to war and fight for his country. Why? Because he wasn't afraid of, of dying, because he wasn't afraid of these things outside of his control. And in that way, he was able to pursue what he, like, he was able to follow through what he owed his country and what he owed his nation. Because it wasn't a country at that time. Mm-hmm. And so the idea is, you know, why wouldn't I stand up to a bully? You know, if I can ask you that question, like, why wouldn't you stand up to a bully in, in like, regular life? Yeah, yeah. So if you are kind of trying to think about how you respond to things and you are trying not to get upset but yeah, I mean, I guess that's the same accusation that's been sometimes to Buddhism as well. That mm-hmm. you are that the problem is that in you, in how you respond to the world. That the problem is not in the world, but it's in 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 your response. Yeah. So I guess that would be kind of the yeah. So I think that I mean, some people might say that like, oh, I'm not worried about the bully because I'm focusing on myself. But I think most of the time, if we look inside, we're not responding to the bully because we're worried about getting bullied. Uh, we're worried about getting physically hurt. We're worried about becoming unpopular. We're mm. worried about people not liking us. We're afraid of external things. We're afraid of external consequences. So I know mm. I should stop that bully. I know I should protest. I know I should advocate for social change. I know I should donate money um, to charitable causes, but I'm afraid of not having money. Yeah. Um, so what I would say like the, the most of the time what happens is people people don't, aren't politically active or don't uh, fight for what's right because of fear, right? Mm, And this would be Epictetus' point is they're being coerced. They know they should stand up to that bully, but they're afraid of getting beat up themselves. Yeah. So when you become free, when you become not afraid um, and unable to be coerced by other people threatening you, then you're free to do what's right. Yeah, the, the point is that, you know, only the Stoic can be fully politically active and he uses these examples of senators politicians and the tyrant says vote the way i want or i'll cut your head off and the politician says you know look man like if you're going to cut my head off cut it off like it's my job to vote with the will of the people and you know if if you're going to be the kind of person that cuts people's heads off for doing that go ahead and that's Mm -hmm. like he's talking in a time when that would happen you know it's the stoic it's the stoic who's able to be politically active seneca um you know, was executed for planning to overthrow a, a corrupt emperor. Yeah. And, you know, you can't plan to overthrow a corrupt emperor unless you're like have confronted the idea that you might die and are going to do it anyway because it's the right thing to do. Yeah. So that's it. Yeah. So, like, I, I, I think that, I mean, I think that, yeah. Oh, go that's ahead. a great clarification. Yeah. So, so I guess what I was getting in, uh, getting at that was like, you know, if you are, feeling up, upset about what somebody told you or or something like that, then it would be that you might easily think that, okay, why am I upset? And and can try to work with that. But just like you said about being afraid of consequences of, of standing up and actually doing what you know the right thing, I, I think that's a really good way of kind of... And so Seneca talks about this as well. Like, so like, 
fair enough. You're, like your your further point would be, well, but what are you what are you fighting against if there's nothing wrong in the world? But the point is not that there's nothing wrong in the world. I mean, we have to be careful about how you use this language. But the the, the main point is to focus on your reactions and your responses. Uh, so the the question the the question isn't that there there's nothing wrong with this bully. The point is how do I respond to this bully? How do I help fix this bully problem? Instead of focusing on the bully and being like, oh my God, there's this incredibly terrible thing going on and I'm super upset about it and I'm paralyzed by fear because I don't want it to happen to me, but I also know that it's wrong and, and this kind of like imploding that occurs. It's, it's the focus on yourself and say, okay, there's this problem. How do I resolve this problem? And then it's not that there's nothing wrong in the world. It is that you have been the best person you can be if you've done all you can do to resolve the problem. Mm. So, you know, you're happy or your life has gone well if you've fought against the problem to the best of your ability. That's not to say the world around you has gone perfectly. You know, if you're on the torture rack, you know, clearly something wrong has gone, in, something's <laughs> gone wrong in the world around you. Yeah. But the idea, Epictetus says, is we would still think of that person and say they had a great life. Does that does that distinction help? Yeah, I I think that helps a lot. It's it's really been a wonderful discussion, and and I think we start start wrapping up, and and people can um, see your blog in the in the in the show notes, and and your work on martial arts on MMA is coming out soon as well. So maybe just a few closing words for our listeners from from what we discussed today. Yeah, I mean, I guess to summarize. Um, I think if there's a big takeaway in terms of especially when we're talking about meaningful sport, I mean, I might be preaching to the choir here, but this idea of, you know, you don't have to be a stoic. You can be an existentialist. You can be a Buddhist. You can, there's a lot of, there's a lot of ways um, to live, but I guess living intentionally, um, practicing your sport intentionally, I think is such a valuable sport is already so great for so many reasons, but if we, if we use it to, also cult intentionally cultivate our character and help the way we respond to the world, then it's not just a great way to see your friends and stay fit. It's also a great way to, to you know, move towards happiness and a meaningful life. So if you like stoicism, read more about it, engage in that. But regardless of what you're into, just try to engage in your sport, I guess, meaningfully or with purpose. Those were really the most wonderful closing words. So thank you so much, Michael, for talking to me today. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks for joining us this week on Physical Activity Research Through Podcast. If you like the show, make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing or following the show on Twitter. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. If you found value in the show, we would really appreciate a rating on Apple Podcast or whichever app you're using. Or if you would, in a real old school way, simply tell a friend about the show. It would be a great help for us. We have a fantastic lineup of guests for forthcoming episodes, so be sure to tune in. Thank you all for your support and have a great day.